Welcome, everybody, to Gravel Trap Indie. I'm Christina. And I'm Justin. On this episode, we get to hear all about Christina's trip to Portland and what a tremendous race it was as we saw a champion crowned. We also talk about the ever-changing driver market with some interesting updates. And we also get into some interesting news that uh, could lead to perhaps the future of how we consume and watch IndyCar uh, from beyond uh, 2025. Let's get into it. Well, what a weekend this was. IndyCar was in Portland, and not only did Alex Pillow win the race, he won the whole dang thing, he he secured his second championship. And I got to see him do donuts, like, right in front of our grandstand. It was amazing. I was really confused at first because I was like, oh my gosh, did his car crud out? Because I forgot that they would be allowed to do donuts, or he would be. But then he started doing donuts, and I was like, oh, thank goodness. Whew. Yeah. Awesome celebration from Alex and well-deserved after another dominant drive from him. Uh, one of the several that he's had this season. And of course, this time he puts a nice uh, tidy little bow on the championship with a win for Chip Ganassi. Uh, Ganassi's 15th championship as a team. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but on the back of their haulers pulling out of town. Uh, with the tape. Yeah, it says 14-time IndyCar champions, and they taped over it uh, right away to make sure that everybody knows that they are now 15-time uh, series champions. Um, oh. It was really cool to see uh, Chip Ganassi celebrate with Alex Pillow and share some words with him right in the cockpit of the car uh, before Alex even started to, to climb out after everything that they've been through. Back on the same, uh, over the last year plus with Pillow's contract situation and all that, so good to see those two guys same page. And I think that this is really kind of just the beginning of a truly dominant era uh, for Alex Pillow and especially for Chip Ganassi racing. It, their weekend was so strong because they had, what, three out of their four drivers in the top 10. Mm -hmm. And even Armstrong's performance was strong enough to get him in that top 10. They just, you know lost a tire on that pit stop which that was so sad to see yeah I, he was absolutely on for was, a top 10 would have uh, easily taken over in the in the uh rookie of the year standings over canapino and canapino has ovals as well uh and those oval points mm -hmm. contributing to his rookie of the year standing so marcus armstrong is only doing this on the road and street courses and i don't think he could have clinched it or anything with the top 10 but it would have been a lot easier now he has something to fight for going into monterey uh this upcoming weekend but unfortunate pit stop, but that was really kind of Ganassi's only stumble, I think, for the day. Outside of, did you yeah. think that maybe it was a blocking penalty when Pelot was coming out of the pits on cold tires and trying to keep Elio behind him? I know that you're at the Ooh, track. It, 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 if you one, saw that one at all. I did. I just rewatched the six-minute really quick recap of the race, and mm -hmm. they did have the blocking alleged blocking because no penalty was issued it did look sketchy like it i will say it was very cold at track on sunday compared to the friday saturday there was no sun there was everybody was cool um there was a bit of a breeze so it doesn't surprise me at all that so many drivers are struggling on their outlaps with their cold tires so i'll give him a little bit of the benefit i'll give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt but it was definitely sketchy and definitely should have warranted some review. It was close. I was surprised that it wasn't even reviewed. They did say on the broadcast, right. um, they asked the stewards 
about it. And the stewards said, well, race control never submitted it for review. So we have nothing to review. And that was kind of a very, you know, um, polite way. I think of the stewards saying that maybe they agree that it could have been blocking, but they have nothing to review. So it didn't even get to that point. Um, I don't like to see race control get involved too much, especially when it comes to title fights. We've seen that infect other series over the last few years. Race control getting involved. Uh, race control certainly got involved in the Indy 500 this year, throwing a, a red, last minute red flag and then just going straight to the green flag without even a full lap, um, you know, straight from the out lap. A lot of people didn't like that. So, uh, you know, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. I think a lot of people wanted to see race control get involved here just to see if Alex Pillow would have been able to still finish in a podium position and wrap up a championship. Uh, but you really can't have it both ways. They've, they've either kind of got to stay out of, um, you know, stay out of the Indy 500 and manipulating things at the end like they did or, you know, step in here and, and you know, ask for a review from the stewards anyway, uh, which I think may have led to a penalty. Um, I'm probably 70-30 on that, should it have been a penalty or not. And ultimately, I think it's best for, you know, race direction to not, something like that, to not, you know, get involved in a title fight. Um, it wasn't like he cut off New Garden or that, uh, who'd taken himself out of the race earlier. Um uh, via qualifying, but, um, yeah, you know, he was, he was battling a back marker and, you know, no harm, no foul, I think in that regard. Very true. The, the mixing of the field this time felt like it happened so quickly. Like the field spread was actually ridiculous. We were trackside at that first chicane and every single moment at a certain point, there was, cars going out in front of you there was no dead space on track barring you know maybe four or five seconds it doesn't surprise me at all that so many drivers were having difficulty with not just back markers being in the mix but having traffic when they were coming out of the pits because there really was nowhere to go there were drivers covering every single inch of that track at every single moment do you do you notice that field spread more when you're there live like do you notice the gaps between the cars increasing or decreasing as they're going by you lap after lap because it is a fairly short lap in portland but we did see the field spread out so quickly that i would have to imagine that being there live like you were you could actually see those gaps grow or shrink in real time you really could and i will say (laughs) one of the things that made it noticeable to me is that we had these fans behind us that were for um my brain stuck on Alex below, but it was for Pato Award. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't be, he had nobody right in front of him and nobody right behind him for several laps. Like he had a notable gap, wasn't defending, wasn't trying to overtake, was just cruising at every single lap. They would cheer for him like so loudly. They would be doing the little <laughs> like singing a little song. And I'm just like, we're on day three. I am so stressed from watching this. I'm tired. How are you getting the energy to cheer for him while he's just cruising on these laps? Was, like, was he the most popular driver, oh, do you such think? Such good energy. Being on the West Coast? Oh, by far. Yeah. By far. I, I actually can show you a little something. So I had seen a bunch of the mini cars and I saw that they were just like $10, right? And so I'm like, okay, this is easy engagement and I'd buy one oh, anyway. that's a good price. Yeah. Yeah. So I went on my story on Instagram and I said, hey, 
whose car should I get? All of the first answers for like 10-ish people were saying Pato. Then there were a couple Grosjean and then a couple like one for Simon Paginot, one for like a handful of other people. Um, I think Malukas was in there. Like Alex Pillow at one point came up. But <laughs> the vast majority, like 80% of the suggestions were Pato. So I have a little Pato car right here. That's awesome. That's a good one to get to. Yeah. He'll win a 500 soon enough. For sure. He'll win a championship Definitely. soon enough, I think. And this one's, this one's signed. So oh, neat. that's fun. <laughs> his but his signature say, is so just basic. <laughs> Pato. Right? It's like, I like that. some of these guys definitely chose their signatures when they were young, but still knew like, yes, I'm no, going to have a it's, signature it's just, and I'm going to stick efficient. with it. He's super efficient on the track and it he's is. super efficient with his signature and it matches up perfectly. And it, like, I would imagine like, you know, I don't know, maybe Will Powers signature is very intricate and very thought out and has a lot of different elements to it. And of course, Pato is just Pato. Get it done as quickly as possible. I like it. He he had a whole little stand of just his merch at the track. And there was constantly a line in front of it. And they sold out of his car at a couple at a, the main booth. So I got this one from one of the small booths. Yeah, his his merchandise in Long Beach and I'd certainly imagine in Texas goes super quick. If you're not there on Friday, then you're not going to get, you know, anything except maybe smalls, mediums and like two X's left if you want a shirt. But all the hats are gone and everything. Uh, one thing that was really much nicer about Toronto is that McLaren had one of the long sides because when you're in when you're going in the paddock you have all of the camps all of their garage spaces set up one next to each other Mm -hmm. and so when you have a team on either side of you you really only have one little short gap where you can have fans watching what your team is doing but every once in a while a team will get placed on the end of the lineup and so they cannot just have you know it's the corner slice of the cake so Mm -hmm. you can have the front view and the side view and in toronto mclaren had the side view oh that's cool so you had this nice long lineup where people could watch and then you come here to portland and they were buffered on either side by a team and jam-packed squeezed people constantly in front of that uh but they made it work you know (laughs) that's how they are in long beach too they're always sandwiched in the middle i think um i I forget Mm -hmm. uh i think andretti's on one side and i forget who the other team is maybe hunko's but um, yeah, they're always right in the middle. And uh, AJ Foyt Racing always gets, for some reason, one of the end spots um, that's wide open. But they do a great job with it. They open up the sides of their tent. Uh, their mechanics are always hanging out, explaining things. Um, if there's not much going on, they'll even let you walk right into their garage area if they're working on the car and check it out up close. So IndyCar overall does a great job of you know opening up the uh, paddock for fans. It's true. I got to walk in the Chip Ganassi trailers this weekend. There you go. They, I'm sure that they have some of the nicer ones. They do. So I, that one was like a complete random occurrence. I had been hanging out in pit lane on the Friday and Saturday. But Saturday, um, one of the guys from the team, I'm guessing I looked really parched because it was boiling hot that day. Like everybody was just like sheltering. It was, and he was nice enough to say, hey, do you want a chilled water? I said, yes. And so we got to chit-chatting a little bit. And then towards the end of the day, as he was walking by, like moving tires again, he was like, hey, stop by tomorrow morning. We can give you a quick tour of of the area kind of a thing of their garage. And I'm like, great. I thought I would just get to like walk behind 
the line and get to see the cars from the other angle, get a closer look. Mm -hmm. But then he just goes into the trailer and I'm like, I guess I follow you. And this is right before the race as well. So it's super chaotic, super busy. We're just like blitzing through being like, this is what all the trailers are. This is what this is upstairs. That's what there is upstairs. Oh, look, in this little area here, you can see Scott Dixon having a meeting with his engineers. Oh, that's neat. walk past is Marcus Armstrong. I ended up getting a picture with Alex Pillow, which I'm just like, that's okay, cool. this yeah. is great. On the weekend that he wins it, that's awesome. Did they have Alex Pillow's McLaren contract in a shredder anywhere that you could find? <laughs> <laughs> not not that I saw, <laughs> but that would have that been That thing hilarious. is long gone. They, I'm that sure they burned it. I'm sure they burned it and left it in uh, in Gateway or something. <laughs> well, it sounds like a great weekend overall. Yes. I'm going to do Toronto and Portland again because I liked that. I want to see if I can go to uh, – I have a lot on my list because going down to Laguna Seca, if I'm already in the States, makes sense, mm -hmm. especially if they're back-to-back -back again. That makes sense. And then I want to do Indy 500. Yeah. Like, want to do it desperately badly. And then just want to see if I can get a race in at the start of the year as well. So that would be Long Beach, I think. Yeah. Would be the one that makes most sense. Long Beach is so accessible. I almost like it more than, than going to the 500. We probably just lost 100 mm -hmm. listeners with me saying that. But it's, uh, <laughs> it is really cool because it's, it's not a typical IndyCar crowd. So like they don't know kind of where to be and what to look for. So there's little spots that you kind of figure out, you know, as a fan where to be and when, not only just around track, but also in the paddock or in the pit lane or things like that. You understand the timing a lot more and the access that you can have. Um, and a lot of people in Long Beach don't. Different story for the Indy 500. There's just people all over everywhere. It's the diehards. But it's the best people watching you could ever imagine with 350,000 people in one place for a whole weekend. Very true. So, well, speaking of next year, we got like a pretty good amount of driver news. So much. Just over the last several days, um, since we were with you last week, uh, some of what we speculated on uh, certainly did not happen. But that's, again, why we call it silly season and why we love it so much. We were talking a little bit, you know, about what was going to happen at Chip Ganassi Racing with Marcus Erickson moving on to Andretti Autosport for next season. Uh, we also learned the faith of the 28th that we'll get into. But CGR wasted no time in confirming their driver who's going to be replacing Marcus Erickson, and that's going to be rookie Linus Lundquist. This is a guy, Indy Lights champion. Who was there this weekend with Yeah, Chip. was there this weekend, kind of ingrained, you know, with the team once again. And he's a guy that we talked about, you know, him getting this valuable experience, you know, in in the 60 with Meyer Shank, it's a different team, but getting some some good experience toward the end of the year um, and then just being there this weekend and presumably for Monterey uh, ingrained with CGR. What do you think of that move of such a storied team, a championship winning team in 2023, tapping a rookie in Linus Lundquist uh, for 2024? I like it. I mean, this isn't the first time that they've tapped a rookie. They did it with Marcus Armstrong this year. And they've had good results. So I think that that does instill a certain level of confidence that, oh, well, we've done it once before, so we can do it again. Yeah. And I mean, Polo is experienced, you know, in, in Europe, but very much a rookie to IndyCar. Uh, Marcus, Marcus Erickson, experienced in Formula One, but very much a rookie to IndyCar. So you're right. This is something that they've been able to do kind of time after time. And Lundquist might have more success coming up uh, in the U.S. as a part of the IndyCar ladder. Um, after coming over from Sweden uh, in, in Europe, where uh, where he actually won British Formula 3 um, before coming over here. So um, 
yeah, good point with uh, CGR and the rookies. I, I kind of hadn't really thought about that. They're just a good team. They have their their stuff figured out. And I think as well, because they have two championship fighters, they have Dixon and they have Polo, I think they can also split their attention that way, where it says, okay, these are the cars that we're using to concentrate on the championship. And these are the ones that we're really using to develop talent. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a very good balanced strategy and split focus it it takes a little bit of pressure i think off because when they had the lineup of polo dixon and erickson i think that was maybe a bit overwhelming for them because erickson wanted to repeat his 500 win and he wanted to continue snowballing that success so it just makes it that there's a lot more expectations to manage when you have three versus two championship fighters yeah, we've we've kind of seen it a little bit at Penske this year where they really have three championship fighters with Newgarden, obviously, um, Scott McLaughlin, who I think is another guy who will win a championship, you know, within the next few years um, if he performs, obviously, at the level that he has been. And Will Power, who is a multi-time IndyCar champion, uh, Indy 500 winner, um, same as Joseph Newgarden, just did it, you know, a little bit sooner uh, over his storied career. But those three guys... Uh, we, we saw it, you know, last week at Gateway, um, or rather two weeks ago now at Gateway, where, uh, you know, Will Powers out there calling his teammate a dumbass for spinning into the grass. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of tension with that team because they have three drivers that all want to win right now. And it'll be interesting to see with, with Erickson departing, um, what kind of mentality he brings to Andretti. And it'll be really interesting with the rookie Linus Lundquist coming in to see what kind of mentality he brings as a rookie who's very, very used to winning but has kind of sat on the sidelines for most of 2023 and will be very, very hungry to get back into a competitive car. And then, boop, 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 where were we? We were just talking about Chip Ganassi, where, I mean, since this graphic was made a couple of days ago, we've also had it confirmed that Polo will be staying with Chip Ganassi. Mm-hmm. Yep, staying there, tore up the McLaren contract. Um, that is official. He'll remain in that number 10 car. And Marcus Erickson for CGR will be moving uh, to a full-time schedule and incorporating ovals next year. So I think you're right, though. You know, obviously, we'll see Alex Pillow fighting at the top again. Um, Scott Dixon, if he can make it 20 consecutive seasons uh, winning a race in IndyCar, that'll be insane in and of itself. A lot of people wrote him off a few years ago, and then he was right there uh, back uh, as, as IndyCar champion for the sixth time. Um, so you never know, you know, it might seem like Scott Dixon might be a little bit over the hill, but certainly not. He is, he's in my opinion, the greatest IndyCar driver of all time that we've seen. Um, he's got very few records that kind of still stand in his way. I think that we'll see more records fall for him in 2024. Um, and he'll be a tremendous mentor as well, uh, for both Armstrong as he tackles the ovals and especially for Lundquist. Uh, jumping into one of these machines for the first time. One of the things that Alex Pillow staying at Chip Ganassi means is that there was that slot open at McLaren, which we have, they posted today, you know, big, ominous, papaya coming at you saying, we're having a press conference on Friday. And everyone's anticipating that it's going to be the announcement that David Malukas is going to be going into that seat. And the one thought that I had today about it was just seeing him and Pato as teammates will be one of the most funny, chaotic, high energy, ridiculous things I think we've seen in a long time. They are going to amp each other up so much. 
And goodness gosh, I hope Rossi has like a quiet area that he can go to to decompress because those two on their own, but together. <laughs> Polar opposites of, of Alex Rossi's it. personality. Complete opposites. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be, you know, Rossi's obviously oh. going to going to continue to be kind of the veteran of the team. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of going back to that dynamic like you talked about with having three drivers that really want to compete. Alexander Rossi, he was running for championships with Andretti. Hasn't translated yet to McLaren. Next year, I think that he's going to be hungrier than ever to, you know, if that's his last year at McLaren or not, to kind of at least put a cap on that and have somewhat of a a more competitive season than he has, where maybe he can, you know, get uh, to the top step of the podium a few times, certainly be on the podium more often, uh, more pole positions for him. Um, he knows that we need more out of that seven car. Pato Award is already there. Just need a little bit more of, uh, you know, some more consistency from him, but he will win races. He'll be in contention for the championship all season long, I think. Um, he'll certainly be in contention at the Indy 500 as he has been the last couple of years. And David Maluk is stepping into this environment with a driver in Rossi that still has a lot to prove within this team as a veteran, um, a younger driver who's hungrier than, than ever to reach the upper echelon of the sport and award. It'll be kind of interesting to see where Malukas fits into that because he, he does have that wonderful, you know, personality to him. Um, he does seem very happy-go-lucky around the paddock. They call him Little Dave, and that was a nickname that apparently he gave himself. Yep. But being in such a competitive environment, it'll be really interesting to see, uh, you know, kind of what we get from him and if he's able to uh, to take that number six car to the same places that Rosenquist has been over the years. Because if it wasn't just for a few mistakes in a few races, we would have already seen Rosenquist win races, and we potentially maybe would have seen him uh, win the Indy 500 after starting on the front row this year. Uh, he was one of the stronger cars there. So still a lot to live up to for little Dave in 2024 with this move, potentially to McLaren. We don't know yet. We're just speculating, of course, but we'll find out Friday. We'll find out Friday. Yes. Well, by, by the time this episode's posted, we might know. Yeah, it might leak. Huh. You know, they, there might be uh, you know a little <laughs> merch leak or something like that, like we see from time to time. But uh, in, in addition to those moves, one move, Speaking of that number six car that surprised me was Felix Rosenquist going to Meyer Shank racing and Meyer Shank. We, we saw them say that they're actually expanding operations um, and that Elio will be running a third car, at least for the Indy 500. Uh, I think that we'll see him in there at other oval races, uh, probably at Texas, just as, oh, yeah. a, as a dry run for the 500, maybe a couple road and street courses if he feels like it, cause he's Elio. And if he asks the team to set up a car for him, they're going to do it. Uh, they've already confirmed Tom Blomquist in the 06 car coming over from uh, the IMSA Sports Car Championship, um, having won a championship over there for Meyer Shank Racing with their Acura. Um, but now we can confirm Felix Rosenquist uh, will be stepping into the 60 at Meyer Shank Racing. And they're getting a veteran driver in Rosenquist, somebody who's quick, um, somebody who, like we just said, needs maybe a little more consistency. And they're pairing him with a rookie in Tom Blomquist. The other option may have been to go with Linus Lundquist, but then they end up with two rookies. So I wonder how much that influenced their decision, not wanting two rookies, going with a safer bet in Rosenquist, um, or if this is really a driver that they kind of targeted from the start of silly season and said, if we can get Rosenquist in that in that 60 car, that's the guy that we want. Yeah, from what I've read, it seems like it was a very targeted thing. The one article I read was that they've had their eye on Rosenquist for a while. 
So to me, that sounds like he would have been priority number one. Obviously, I imagine even if you have your priority number one, you still talk to other people because mm-hmm. you never want to be caught without a driver or without a backup plan like some teams have been. <laughs> so it sounds like he was at least their their choice number one, which is always a good feeling to know that you are someone's number one choice. Yeah, they're, they're certainly getting the good one. Tom Blomquist, the success from sports cars hasn't translated to open wheel racing yet. Uh, we certainly saw this this past race in Portland where he had kind of another downer of a weekend. But the other thing that I'm curious about is, is it the drivers or is it the car at this point? Because Elio has struggled with them so far this season. Uh, Simon Pagano mm-hmm. leading up to his wreck at Mid-Ohio that's kept him out uh, through the end of this year. He's had struggles driving that 60. Um, we kind of know how quick Rosenquist can be on his best day. So is this a car that he's going to have to try and drag to a top 10? Or is this a car that could maybe be fighting for top fives like we've seen Meyer Shank racing cars do in the past? Definitely worth keeping an eye on. Oh, looking at all these rumors. What else do we want to touch on? <laughs> uh, just There's so much. <laughs> there, there is. We, we did learn that Roman Grosjean will officially not be returning to the seat of the 28 for Andretti Autosport. That was sort of foreseen. Uh, personally, when the news mm-hmm. broke that Marcuson, that Mar- Marcuson, we'll just go with that, that Marcus Erickson was moving uh, to Andretti, I thought maybe he was going to be coming into the 29, but that 29, I think, is pretty clearly a seat that Michael Andretti wants some funding for. But either way, clear now that uh, Roman Grosjean will not be returning to Andretti Autosport. And when you look at the landing spots that are left on the grid, for a driver like Rojan, uh, you're looking at Dale Coyne. You're looking at maybe Hukos Hollinger, depending on what they do with the 77. Um, I think uh, Canapino would be back in that 78. And you're really looking at AJ Fort racing. Uh, big question mark on the 14. Benjamin Peterson's future is up in the air, and he kind of addressed that a little bit this this season. Uh, or Sorry, this, this past weekend, talking about next season and saying that um, – he isn't quite ready to announce his plans yet, which is fairly ominous when it comes from a driver. Um, so certainly some seats open there. But Roman Grosjean will be racing in what should be a very competitive prototype program for Lamborghini. Um, Lamborghini will enter uh, their prototype in the World Endurance Ch- Challenge for a full season over in Europe and at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, and we all know the benefit of having a French driver Uh, at the 24 hours in your car in terms of press and sponsorship and attention. Um, But they'll also be entering uh, essentially that same car, just a different version of it, uh, right here in North America in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship as well for a full season. So they haven't confirmed, they've confirmed who their drivers are going to be for the most part, but they haven't confirmed exactly who's going to go into what car and what series. So I would like to see Grosjean either way stay here in the U.S., Um, I did see him wearing a, uh, a Lamborghini pullover uh, when he was out with a, at the uh, team dinner that he took all of his 28 guys out to uh, the the night after Portland. So maybe that was a little foreshadowing on on what his full-time plans are going to be for next season. He's already confirmed at Lamborghini, but there's still a lot of crossover, um, not many conflicts with that schedule. Uh, but maybe that's just what his focus will be going forward. It would definitely be a loss, I think, for the series to lose him because he... He just brings such good energy. And I know that uh, the kind of hype of him going from F1 and coming over here has died down a little bit. Yeah. But he has some diehard fans. Like one of the other people who was very intense sitting behind me was a Grosjean fan. 
And when he got, you know, sent to the pits that first time because of the contact, because of oh, the dirt at the track, it gives me a heart attack every single time because you can't see if it's just a tire that touched the dirt or if there's actually an incident. Mm-hmm. But in this case, there was an incident. He locked wheels with um, the 77 of Eilat mm-hmm. and it completely wrecked the suspension of one of his front tires. So he had to go back to the pit. He was down 10 laps and he ran for a number of laps, just really, really down before retiring the car. And the cheers when he came back on track, the size and the sadness when he went back to the pits the first time and then retired, he has a good, loyal support base. You would be seeing DHL merch and his big jersey kind of all over the place. It was one of the well-stocked merch areas on the friday so he just he does bring a lot of good fan support fan engagement to the grid to the to the track side it's it would just be a shame for that to completely disappear yeah he's he's great for the sport he's certainly brought a lot of fans over from formula one especially after his accident over there and the way things had ended with with haas um the only american team in formula one at least for now um, so of course he's going to bring you know a lot of that fan base over, and then it seems like it seems like all of the mid and back teams, at least on this lovely chart that we have from Mama underscore GeForce on Twitter. Go look it up if you haven't seen this thing because it is a thing of beauty. But so many of the back marker teams and midfield have mm-hmm. all of these question marks to them, and I'm glad that this weekend we got kind of the big players mm-hmm. on the main stage locked up, especially once we get. Arrow McLaren lined up once we get confirmation from Andretti whether or not they're going to be running a fourth and confirmation from Chip Ganassi that yes Marcus Armstrong's locked up then everything else I feel like can you know flow into place and thankfully it's the last race of the season everything should be starting to to line up nicely Indy next also wrapping itself up so we know who's going to be coming up from that series yeah, potentially we'll, Oof, we're we'll near have the end. <laughs> an Indy Next champion that'll be looking for a seat. Um, and Linus Lundquist got squeezed mm-hmm. out uh, after he won the championship in 2022. Yeah, I I, I completely blanked on that open seat at uh, at ECR, at, at, at Carpenter Racing. That one should be pretty desirable, I would think, for a driver at this point, given what's left. Uh, Ryan hunter Ray, not sure if he'll be you know back um, for a full season or if at all. Uh, the number 20 car, for whatever reason, we saw Connor Daly get dropped from that seat in the middle of the season, which I thought was fairly unfair. Um, but no other driver has really been able to kind of drag that thing around to any meaningful results so far um, the rest of the way. So going into next season alongside VK, who's a very, very strong um, teammate and, you know, has fought at the front of the grid anyway uh, at various points this season, um, that 20 alongside him could be good if they can return to form. Um, but... We did get a lot of answers in the driver market. A lot of uh, questions were answered revolving uh, the the bigger names that were still available, um, especially a guy like Rosenquist. Uh, we have maybe a clearer picture on Malukas, and we found out uh, where the hottest rookie in the sport, Linus Lundquist, is going to be driving for next year. It is starting to look good. Move on to growing the sport. Yeah. While we know where a lot of these exciting drivers are going to be in 2024, and at this point we know where we can watch them uh, as IndyCar fans on television in 2024, after 2024, IndyCar's media rights are expiring with NBC. 
And what that means is the way that we watch and consume IndyCar is going to be changing. And I think that this is really a very pivotal time for IndyCar to really look at, have they achieved what they want to with NBC as a partner? Can they achieve more with a different partner? Um, are they going to be looking at, you know, what they did with ABC and ESPN prior to NBC and maybe using that as a comparison? And uh, are we ever going to see, you know, IndyCar really get back to the heights where they were in the, you know, early to late 90s, um, where their numbers were, you know, <clears throat> you weren't talking about uh, maybe a million people tuning into a race to watch a live. You were talking about several million people tuning into a race to watch a live. But in 2023 and 24 and beyond, we as fans consume media across all forms very, very differently, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's movies or television shows, that has changed. And the on the IndyCar side, they really kind of just, I think, unintentionally dipped their toe into streaming, more so because they were forced um, with NBC and Peacock. And in my opinion, what NBC has done with IndyCar content on Peacock as a racing fan has been tremendous. Every single session throughout a weekend is live. You can watch Indy NXT on there. Um, you can even watch uh, USF Pro on there um, or, or USF 2000, I think it was. But anything on track that's going on for the most part that's you know within the IndyCar ball is they didn't periphery for a weekend is on there. Where I think they really dropped the weeks leading up to that. They produce much original content. Um, they also buried the IndyCar content under the sports tab and then under the IndyCar tab. And if you just log on to, you know, Peacock and fire it up on your TV, it's not right there front and center. Um, it maybe was for the Indy 500 uh, in the cup, but it, it's certainly not there. Um, even if there's a live session going on where they say, hey, this is what's happening right now, or this is what's going to be happening this weekend, or here's a really neat documentary that we produce to educate you about the sport and the, and the, the history of the sport. Because IndyCar has more history than any other form of motorsport. Just I think about that. And then you look at what F1 has done with Drive to Survive and the trickle-down effect where we've seen uh, you know, documentaries come out of that, like the Michael Schumacher documentary that Netflix produced um, that is on the service as well. I can go turn on Netflix right now, and I know guaranteed I don't have to scroll down more than a couple rows and I'll see something F1-related. Uh, they had Rush on the service you know, kind of supporting the sport as well. We don't see that with Peacock. So we'll see if IndyCar takes these negotiations seriously. Um, but we did get a sign uh, just within the last couple of days that I believe is a good sign for IndyCar fans that they are taking this seriously. And they've decided to hire Endeavor as a consultant for these media rights to kind of negotiate on their behalf Um and certainly, you know, get the best television deal po possible. And for those of you not familiar with the brand and, and the name Endeavor, Endeavor is the company that bought UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, um, just within the last few years. Uh, they're the company that earlier this year agreed to purchase World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, what they do is they partner um, not only with those organizations, but they also partnered with the NFL and helped negotiate their television rights. Most recently, they partnered with the NHL and helped uh, help negotiate their television rights. And I think that we can use that NHL example. Um, that, I think, can give us maybe a little clearer picture. The NHL has 
deals to air games live on ESPN Plus and Hulu. They have national games on ESPN every week. And they also brought in a second national partner uh, with Turner uh, uh, and, and TNT um, as well. So they have two very strong partners. That's the way that we see a lot of media rights going these days. We've seen it most recently, not through Endeavor, but just within the marketplace with college football, with the Big Ten being on NBC uh, and CBS. Um, so you're seeing really multiple networks throw their hat into the ring for these for these sports uh, media rights. Um, but hopefully, I think the perfect package entails uh, accessible network television races where, you know, we've talked about it. IndyCar has an older fan base. You might have somebody with just basic cable that either plugs a wire into the back of their TV, presses the power button and starts scrolling through channels on a Sunday morning. But if they want to grow the sport, they have to reach the younger audience that is interested in, in streaming content on their own schedule that they want to learn more and more that hopefully they're listening to podcasts just like this to educate them on the history of the sport and educate them on what's going on. Because if you turn into a broadcast, there's so much going on with just the on-track stuff. And I think that that's where NBC's dropped the ball. There's no pre-race coverage uh, for Portland. Um, I know that my DVR recording started uh, like pretty much right at the end of the formation lap, right as they were coming to green. There was no buildup or anything. And um, it cut off. They had one commercial break. Then they came back and they said, Alex Blow is your champion, everybody. Great. Congratulations. See ya. So we need more shoulder programming, a pre-race, a post-race, I think, for your traditional television audience. But more streaming content would be tremendous, I think, to have. Well, especially when you have the comparison now to what F1 TV is. At the end of the day, that's what everybody is kind of not even used to, but that is the highest standard at this point. That's like the holy grail. You can go in and you can watch races from every single year and they're neatly organized. You get tech talks on there every single Tuesday. You have Tech Tuesday. You have documentaries on there. You have podcasts. You have so much that you can go. You can marathon full seasons if that's what you want to. And yes, you can watch every single session of this current year on demand, every single race from previous years on demand. And right alongside timing and scoring and different feeds and driver cameras, it's it's truly an over-the-top interactive platform. It really is, especially, yes, having the monopoly essentially on open-wheel motorsports in the States is great. But there's also the rest of the world. And while as F1, when you watch F1 and you're in North America, you do get very used to waking up at ridiculous hours of the day. But it's nice knowing you don't have to. And think of how many people would probably get invested in IndyCar, not from North America, if they had the option of not having to watch it when it airs. You know, and, and even people who are on the same continent. Yeah, there's only 17 races a season. It's so much easier to keep up with week in and week out. Then, you know, Formula One expanding to 23 and 24 races um, or NASCAR being almost every single weekend for, you know, eight or nine months out of the year. Um, it's it's very friendly in that regard. It doesn't take much investment, uh, especially from new fans. Um, but, you know, and I just quickly on the streaming thing. And then there's, there's one more thing that I want to say about what this is really about. But on the streaming side. Formula One hit a home run with Drive to Survive. That blew the sport up in North America. 
It's the reason why I don't go to Austin anymore. It's just too much of a hassle. There's 400,000 people there. It's a mess. It's not what it yeah. was. I want my little race back where, you know, you can walk up and down the grid um, on uh, on Thursday, <laughs> you know, when they're prepping the cars and, and not be bothered. Oh, um, but it's dream. not like that. You know, now we've got, you know, Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran headlining alongside a race weekend. It's, it's tremendous what they've done. Um, but that is the Netflix effect. It really is. Uh, you go there and the fans that you see now that, that attend that race and, uh, and have attended in uh, Miami and certainly will attend Las Vegas, they haven't been watching the sport for, you know, maybe more than the last two or three years. They found it through Netflix and Netflix and, and formula one, uh, management who really helped produce the series. Um, they did such a great job of giving the fans access. Uh, I know that it's, it's way over the top in terms of the, the writing, and the storylines that they either embellish or just <laughs> full on invent, but it's entertaining. Eh, and yeah. IndyCar did something like that earlier this year with 100 Days to Indy that, in my opinion, was a much better series than Drive to Survive, especially the last couple seasons of Drive to Survive. 100 Days to Indy was incredible. Yeah. You really got to know the drivers. I haven't gone to watch it. It's Well, yeah, because it's it's they buried it on the it's, CW network. <laughs> and I see what they were not, trying to do. There's no... You have no option of watching the CW in Canada. Right, There's not exactly. even a Canadian equivalent that they let me watch it on. I'm they mad. Took, they <laughs> took IndyCar fans that are already hardcore fans, and they said, go to the CW network to watch this. And the hardcore IndyCar fans did, because they'll watch it anywhere, but they didn't put it in a place yeah. that's accessible to fans in North America and internationally, where you fire up Netflix. What's new? Oh, Drive to Survive. What's that? I have no idea. But it's got, you know... 97% match for me. Okay, cool. I'll check that out. Why not? No, it's buried on CW. There's commercial breaks. Um, they didn't keep it going after Indy because the production company that produced it, Vice, actually declared bankruptcy shortly uh, shortly afterwards. So <laughs> yeah, IndyCar, did. yeah, IndyCar oh, didn't nice. fund it. Penske Entertainment didn't fund it themselves. Huge mistake. Just look at the drama that we got mm-hmm. out, of, out of Silly Season and out of the driver market that, that we've talked about. There's so much to cover. So in much IndyCar. beef. Um, you've got, you know, Pagano's accident. What's happened with the 60? And that that's great television. It's tremendous storytelling. And IndyCar just doesn't know how to tell that story. But really what this TV deal is, is about is securing the media rights for the Indy 500. These networks don't care about any of the other races. You know, maybe they care about Long Beach. Maybe they care about Laguna Seca and the championship fight and what's happening with that. But they care about the Indy 500. They care about the 15 million eyeballs that are going to be tuned in Memorial Day weekend on that race. So that's what they're bidding on. And that's a problem. And as long as IndyCar continues to promote themselves as the series that just happens to exist because of the Indy 500, that's a problem. Fans want to be more in tuned. They want to know what's going on. The Indy 500, it's fantastic. It is the biggest spectacle in sports anywhere, period. Forget motorsports. 350,000 people there live in the history that it has mm-hmm. over 100 years. You can't replicate that anywhere. But IndyCar needs to kind of let go of that safety blanket a little bit and say, okay, we need to really start advertising everything that we have here because it really is a tremendous series. So hopefully the next television deal, uh, hopefully IndyCar understands that, hopefully Endeavor understands that and is able to deliver uh, some really lucrative partners that want to grow the sport alongside IndyCar. Especially because I do think that ovals are an acquired taste. They're not, I think, for most people, the first type of racing that's going to reel them in and keep them hooked mm-hmm. on 
motorsports. So really, if you're wanting to capture new fans, as majestic as the Indy 500 is, and as all-consuming as it can be once you are a fan, it does demand a lot of attention from people who are just starting to be involved. Like, you already Mm -hmm. have your diehard fans. You don't necessarily need to cater a lot to them. Fingers crossed that these deals, though, they have that breath of fresh air that is definitely needed to gain more fans. Because it's a great series. People should love it. People should watch it. (laughs) I was worried because Mark Miles, uh, who is, um, I believe his title's president of IndyCar, uh, Mm -hmm. under Roger Penske, Mm -hmm. of course, who just owns the whole thing. Uh, But Mark Miles said that he would be okay with uh, with a mostly streaming, is, is what he said, with a mostly streaming option. Um, and I, I think that IndyCar's audience is so big and skewed toward the older fans, I don't think that they'll continue on with a streaming service. And if you're going to go mostly streaming, it can't be something like Peacock where you have to dig to, to find the content. It can't be something, you know, yeah. probably even like an ESPN Plus or a Hulu where, yes, people go to ESPN Plus for sports, but Buck and I were talking, you know, and he, he mentioned to both of us pre-production um, that it's so hard to navigate as an app and find the content that you want. And, you know, you don't want to see IndyCar buried on a Sunday morning next to, you know, German Bundesliga soccer, you know, when you're trying to find out what's, what's currently live and what's going on. So yeah. there, there really is an opportunity for IndyCar here with this next media rights deal. But there's a lot of risk as well. And we'll see what happens. Um, it's going to be a long process. Um, I, we won't find anything out until, you know, probably well into next season uh, where things are headed. But it's definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week on hopefully what was a, an entertaining episode of Gravel Trap Indie. Awesome to hear about your experience in Portland, uh, getting a picture with the champ in his hauler right before he went out there and took care of business. Uh, we learned a lot about the driver market as well. And of course, we get to look forward to, uh, to 2025 now after next season to see where we'll all continue to, uh, to hopefully be able to follow uh, this great series. We're looking forward to the season finale in Laguna Seca. I'm Christina. That's Justin. And we will chat with you all next week. See you next week. Meow. Gravel Trap Indie is a production of Gravel Trap Media. Our theme music is by The Pilfers out of New York City. Check them out on Spotify. To connect with us, head on over to graveltrapsocialclub.com where you'll learn about our online esports leagues, our Discord server for socializing with other motorsport fans and podcast listeners, and our Formula One podcast, Gravel Trap F1. Just say goodbye and then film the intro then? Goodbye and film the intro then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was that was that not my line? Was that not my line? <laughs>